Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Brett Lamont. This conversation is a rerun from season two. We're combining episodes 42 and 43, where we're talking about resources. And uh, as always, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I think we had a lot of fun in recording these two episodes, and I hope it shows in what you hear. So thanks for listening, and here we go with episode 42. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Brett Lamont. I'm Mark Herval. I'm Patrick Dodd. And joining us, friend of the pod, you've heard him on multiple episodes, Ryan Utech out of SAP Field Glass. Ryan. Hello. So today we're having a conversation about when teams share resources across multiple teams. So Patrick, you had a question when we were actually doing prep for this. Yes, Brent. Are we talking about dual role scrum masters or dual role product owners? What a great question. No, we're actually talking about people as resources. So if you are a development team and you have uh, QE engineers or designers that work on multiple teams, that is what we're talking about today. So I'm going to start with Patrick. Patrick, Tell me about one of the things you run into when it comes to how teams share resources. So the main thing that I run into uh, when teams share resources is it, it's never quite honest about how much of that person's time is being used. It's, it's never 50%. It's never 25%. It's always either more or less, usually less. Um, and so what I always do is default back to the scrum values, focus, courage, commitment, openness, and respect, and talk about how um, we have to be open about what we can actually contribute. And we have to have the courage to speak up when we're at our 50%. Um, and the focus in sprint planning to talk about what we can actually commit to. So like if we have um, you know, if each person on average does about 12 story points per sprint, then the person who's at 50% commits to six story points per sprint. And then in the first go around in sprint planning, if that person goes, whoa, that's too much. We never talked about this. Then we say, well, this is 50%. So let's talk about this. Is that right. percentage actually different? So well, and it could, so, and that's interesting because you could have somebody who on another team, 50% is not six points or 50% is, you know, it's like what can, so it, to me, it goes back to the, here's what we think 50% means. Can you as a, as a member of this team commit to that much work? And some people may say, oh yeah, I can get all of that done. Right. So you have to have way more uh, interaction and a lot more conversation that happens as part of that. So fifty percent right. is not tied to points. Fifty percent is time to is tied to time. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And it's one of those conundrums that you're going to run into. Is do points equal time? No, no. points. Right? No. <laughs> Said everyone ever. And if you if somebody says, "Oh no, points equal time," please reach out to us at info at faster than stand because we will gladly have that conversation with you. We'll take you out to the dumpster and show you how we do things downtown. <laughs> I swear that is the biggest thing people always come back to. How many oh, yeah. hours is the point every yeah. time. No. Yep. And, and when I tend to sometimes use it, but it's not even like one hour or two. It's like here, this broad value, this broad value, start getting a days, weeks, months. 
Right. But <laughs> there, that's and, how many hours, the, months. <laughs> and the thing that I've run into for a variety of teams that I've worked with is that you have, it's like the opening conversation when you start working with a team is someone's going to say, so yeah, we think that two points equals an hour. I was like, says who, whose time? And we've covered that in multiple, multiple episodes on this podcast. So this is not new material for anybody. So here's where it's really tough. Let's suppose that I'm a UX designer and I'm supposed to be, for argument's sake, 50% on two teams helping them with their stuff, right? And, and because it's about 50%, it's based on time. On a given week, I may be splitting my time up 50-50 between the two teams, but it's not as if I'm going to do, you know, eight to noon, noon to four, right? Completely. I'm going to be periodically working two days in a row for a particular team to, because it's most efficient for, for that, that particular team. The other one is the other team's going to be like, Hey, you're, you're a bottleneck now. Like we, we needed you to look at this thing. Right. And so how it's, it's super tough to be able to then split that up if you're really trying to stay to that. So that's why it keeps pushing over, which is, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that right away. And then I'm asked to, you know, I'm working later because I had to finish this thing because I was a bottleneck. And, and one of the things inherent was splitting between people, uh, people splitting between teams, is they are by definition more likely to become a bottleneck. It's contact switching. And I think we yep. all recognize that people have a hard time being able to contact switch between multiple ideas and multiple things. And especially when you're in a creative space. So if you're a writer or if you're a designer or you know, anything that involves where you have to sit down and actually concentrate on doing the thing in a short timeline. Yeah, I know Mark's laughing because he's probably doing the, yeah, we're not saying that developers are creative. <laughs> no, I was no, going to no. throw developers out there actually. No, because no, it, it's fair. It's a creative Any, aspect. I love Yep. Anyone on a team, let's, well, and to be fair, anyone on a team is going to have to do some contact switching. And it's rough on that. It's rough on the person. It's rough on the team. It's rough on everybody involved. And it's the reason why I think a lot of people like to stand on the book. You know what I like to call standing on the book. And they say, look, if you're a part of this team, you're a part of this team. You can't be partially part of this team. And it's like the world doesn't work that way. Well, the reason I was laughing though, is what flashed through my mind was Melville's sitting down and he's writing and he, he writes down, call me Ishmael. And then the next thing is, no, I don't want breakfast leave me alone. <laughs> so Moby Dick ends up being this long because that's what he could get done by the deadline because of all the interruptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And I think it's an interesting point on um, becoming a bottleneck and having capacity bleed over because of that. And I think that yeah. actually stems from not doing a good enough job in sprint planning for identifying areas that will become a bottleneck within the sprint. Yep. We don't talk well, about... Yeah, I was going ahead. to say, we also talked about the fact that there's kind of two versions of shared between teams. Let's take Q, QE. Sometimes QE is going to be doing end-to-end -end kind of testing across features that span multiple teams, which is by design. So that's where you'd expect someone would, would do, do that. And the question that came up for the QE person that was assigned to that is, am I supposed to show up for every event so I know what's going on? Because right. I will have no time to do QE, right? Right. So yeah. how? So what we said is, you know, probably show up certainly for the scrum of scrums and or like the retro, or not or, so the uh, sprint reviews, because that gives you an overview of what's going on. 
But to a certain extent, you should be elevated above the, the day-to-day and more like what features are going to be delivered on in total so that you can do some testing. Although, um, you then, know, Mark, I'm going to say it depends because there are going to be some times where people are going to, they need to be in the day-to-day so that they can have an awareness. Right, but there can't be an expectation, as was originally said, that you're going to be in every single stand-up so you know what's going on, even though most of the time it's not going to apply to you, right? Sure. And then, and then we also talk about the fact that they're going to be, let's say, let's suppose a feature gets split between teams, and then a person who's kind of the key piece on that feature is required to split between teams. And that's where you want to kind of start to drive a wedge to say, this doesn't make a lot of sense. We should do our decomposition better so that a person does not have to, a developer, for example, does not have to do work on two separate teams for, for a single feature, but rather consolidate that kind of work under a single team. Yeah. Ryan, you live this day in and day out. Yeah, What's exactly. I was just going to say oh, that. In, in many different ways, too. And it's different because uh, so I work with operations teams in IT, and it's interesting as they're building a cloud environment uh, to move stuff off of main hardware that they also manage manage and maintain that they also have to try to learn to build this new thing and there's some dedicated resources specifically to building that new thing but there's a big majority that are just keeping the infrastructure alive that's there and it's very hard to push this big new initiative with a tiny amount of resources and unknown capacity from the rest right some days it's really easy others there's we need it, or here's one initiative comes down that says, hey, we're doing a data center migration now. It's like, oh, we were planning on launching in April. This is taking well over half of our team away completely for the next three months. It's like, okay, that changes capacity, that changes planning. There's a current, the current team I'm working on now is building more of process around this as well and defining services out of the organization. And which is really interesting there is that we don't want 100% capacity towards this team that's doing the work Um, because we want them to be able to get back into their parts of the organization and reflect the changes and the style and what we're developing into those areas without them being able to get back out there that team's going to lose connection with and their viewpoint isn't going to be recognized on the team that's trying to discuss the big issues right now well i think that brings up something for that too yeah i think that brings up something is talking about the metrics across those teams right because what do you find that does to your team's metrics? Because people like to say, hey, what does my burn down look like? What, what kind of capacity are we going to run into? Is this predictable? Is this repeatable? So Ryan, talk about how that impacts the metrics that you guys deal with. Because you know, if you look at it on a sprint to sprint basis, on a person, you know, people related basis, what does that look like? So yeah, um, interesting enough, there's some individuals that you see more involved in some of the communications, um, but people aren't involved in every single event throughout the sprint either because they just can't. They, they're like, they're managers in their own right, of their own teams. So they, they have to be able to be off, but they've, we've kind of have this new trust that's been built. We're, we're up to sprint 10 now uh, and they got it. We've kind of got it, right? They, they, they work as a team. We're trusting that we're building the best thing. We're adding the right peer reviews and making sure that, Hey, Though three of us developed it, the rest of the eight others understand what we've just done before the sprint review a little bit um, and continue the conversations. Also, based on this new epiphany that, hey, the team has gotten to a point of how do we measure our progress in this now? How do we help tell if we're healthy, if we're operating correctly? Because our capacity is so awkward, right? We have people that have maybe 5% capacity, 10% capacity. Is that unhealthy? Not necessarily. It depends if the stakeholders want 
faster velocity and the outputs to go faster? If so, yes, we need those velocities to change or those capacities to change so our velocity can, can increase. But we're making progress. We're still moving forward. Things are happening um, and people are working together. It's great to see multiple parts of the organization really coming together to hit the problem right. And nobody else has, there's no another solution on the table. And why would there need to be? Everybody that is part of the solution, we're all here. We're having the conversation. Everybody's leaning in. It's great. So it's interesting when you talk about velocity for that, because if you stand on the book, anytime you start adding and subtracting people in, if we're doing it the way we're supposed to do it, we should have new working agreements every time. And we should have, you know, new rules of engagement for how everything happens. Imagine the churn that happens if we stand on the book enough to say, you can't have somebody come in part way. It's like, which one do you want? Do you want no work or do you want no work? So how about we get some work yes. and adjust accordingly? Yeah, and it's been pretty consistent, our capacities. So we just kind of took a, a shot in the dark on most of them. In some cases, like if everybody showed up to one of the events, like all the events through this, throughout the sprint, you're still at 5% already. You already hit 5%, yeah. 10% of your time. So if you're thinking eight hours is 10% of your time or so, or 25% of your time. So uh, it, it's crazy. It, it gets into some interesting conversations because – it doesn't have to be right, right? That 1% could be fine, but it should probably be more. <laughs> um, 10%, you're getting in the right conversations and the, the conversations are going in the right direction. You're seeing people with 30, 40, 60% capacity, work's getting done at that, yep. that point. Like they're able to take on the initiatives themselves. Whereas then the people with lower capacity are there to join in the conversation more than help uh, do the, some of the physical documentation stuff that may need to be done afterwards. Right I'll on, tell you Mark. a particular problem that occurred with this. So there was a team that needed UX to look at, at something and kind of come up with a general design. Uh, UX said, you know, we'll loan you this person like 5% of the time, but that wasn't enough. And so they finally said, okay, to heck with this. We're not going to wait anymore. We're going to do, we're going to design it ourselves. And they did. And they had a, after they launched it, they showed customers like, what did you think about it? And it, and it pegged on two uh, factors. Uh, it pegged high. It was beautiful. They really liked the rewrite. It was very, very pretty. It pegged really, really low, and they could not figure out how to use the stupid thing. They could not figure out how to get through the process that was in that page before that was fairly easy to do. Like people hated the new, the new flow, and it, it, the the UX was grander than just the look and feel. It also was the flow. And I'm not faulting the team; they were not experts in this, and they did what they thought was a good enough job. But when push came to shove, they said, "We just cannot get the capacity." necessary to, to have someone help us out of this other team. We're going to do it on our own. That then caused a conversation that says, there are certain things by which you have to have them engaged early on. And maybe later on, you can, that can attenuate. And one of the graphs of UX was like early on, if you get them involved and you put in a lot of time there, you, you have less need of them given, you know, the project proceeding. Um, so, you know, maybe initially that 5%, I mean, in this case, the 5% was a bad idea. We should have potentially put in some more time, right? And then once that's like, here's the flow, here's the general look, if it's off by a little bit, or, you know, it's the hex values are slightly different and it's, you know, maybe it's not quite as, you know, readable or something, that's okay. We, we haven't had such a fundamental problem. Now, because we're agile, we are able to make all those changes, kick, you know, pull it, you expect and say, oh, please help us. This is not going over well with customers. But okay. sometimes that. Yeah, so. I'm going to say, uh, as an aside, I don't know if we've got enough for a second episode, 
I think we're at a place where we're gonna be done. Unless there's something somebody else thinks we absolutely have to cover. Sounds good to me. I mean, my main thing is openness and honesty. Like, it's, I don't care what the percentages are as long as they're correct. There That's you the go. time you brought that up. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> wow. Mark, talk to me about managers and how they deal with resources in multiple teams. Which manager are we talking about, though? People managers? Uh, great question, Ryan. So I think we're talking about people managers. Because if I'm a people manager and I have multiple people on multiple teams, I want to know what's going on. So how does that impact my life? Well, it's a, if I'm following the question right, it's a difficult problem because they're kind of out of my scope for a while. And, you know, I have to rely on the other teams telling me that they're doing what they're supposed to. And also how best to make sure that they're being utilized to the, to the right level and not overused you know um it's and it comes down to if we're really trying to do agile right we want to make sure that we make this as straightforward and simple as possible and one of those things that people resort to is let's have some kind of external you know physical thing we keep track of people's time and things like that um and then it's it goes back to conversations over documentation you know do we really want to make a bunch of busy work where people have to write down they spend you know six percent of their time they had a bathroom break and that just stuff just gets tedious right and it, it's it takes up more time to do that than just solving the problem so um how do you how, how do you best track people's time make sure that they're allocated correctly and you know one of those things we talked about earlier in the previous podcast is by definition if i'm shared between teams i'm going to probably become more of a bottleneck periodically so do we have an alerting system where somebody can come to me as a manager and say, by the way, I'm getting pulled in two different directions, you know, help, help sort out, which is the higher priority that I should work on and, and make that as, you know, if I can't solve it myself and there's, you know, the, the war and nation state problem, like can you jump in and help figure out what this is? Uh, Ryan, walk me through, cause you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, you have a lot of teams that are running through this scenario. So, you know, how many events do you think managers need to be a part of? People manager? I think it should be interesting once in a while to join a stand-up with theirs to make sure, and even if it's a fun time to join a stand-up as a shadow on the wall and that they really don't notice you're there, uh, to really know if they're doing the process right, right? It, you, people managers, hey, are they doing the work? But also, are they doing the work in the way that we're trying to do the work, right? And if you're trying to do it in agile, scrum, fresh, and are they following along that way uh but the minimum one probably would be a sprint review to know where each project review is at and what has been done and where things are going next at least at a high level there yeah, so, so that, if, I'm an, if i'm an end-to-end qe person i want to know when it's done so that i can do my testing right well and patrick wouldn't you say that when it comes to this kind of circumstance if you're a people manager you want to, as a coach or a facilitator or as a scrum master, you want to be able to have that understanding with the people manager. Hey, by the way, you don't really get to say much of anything. That's right. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's a balance with people managers because I've coached quite a few people managers in the past not to turn scrum meetings into status updates. Right. Um, because that's one of the most common anti-patterns of a daily standup, which is 
it goes from daily planning and unlocking each other to becoming a status update on project progress. But on the flip side of that, they're asking for a reason. They're asking because they don't have some knowledge that they need. And so I think that pivots the conversation to, okay, well, how do you get this knowledge? And, right. and, and like Mark said, it's conversations above documentation. So instead of spinning up a new tool, talking to the manager and just asking, what is it you're missing is, is a good conversation to start with. Because it may not even necessitate, you know, showing up to the meetings every day or turning the stand up into a status report or creating, God forbid, another meeting uh, for status. Um, right. it, it, it might just be that there's something that they can get uh, a quick and easy method of delivery. We don't know until we've had that conversation. Right. right. That made me just think about, actually just made me think about something else, which is the team should recognize they have people that show up periodically and it's contingent upon them to think ahead to what they need them to know so that they don't have to show up at everything. And we talked as we were prepping for this about, I, I worked with somebody who actually asked to be included in all of the three teams that she was supposed to be working on as a QE person, because she said, I need to hear everything. So I need to be in every single meeting, invite me to everything. And if that, if she actually did that, she'd have almost no time to do any QE. And the problem was that she didn't know when she was going to hear something that was vital for her. So then you go back to the teams and say, you know, as you do things that directly impact QE, you should consider that and kind of bunch them up so that when we get together with this person, that we can say, here's what you need to know. You know, it's consolidated into a, a single event, maybe at the end of the week, let's say Friday, when they show up for stand-up, you say, hey, by the way, this is what's accumulated over the last week you need to know. And that, now you don't have to show up for everything. Well, and I also think about that for things like Scrum at Scale, right? So if you are doing Scrum of Scrums or Scrum of Scrum of Scrums, or you're doing large any scale. one of those, any large scale stuff, right? You have to be able to have whoever represents you in the meeting, condense the information into something that's useful and to actually be able to share it. And, you know, we talked about how, how do you scale it and how do you make it actionable? And I think it behooves everybody on the team to be engaged and involved and present in the in whatever event it is so that when somebody comes up to you and says hey patrick did you get that thing done or where are you guys at on this you know patrick's not sitting there with deer in the headlights right just right for those for those who can watch the video of this patrick did a perfect deer in the headlight but it is the conversation that you have to have so that scrum masters or facilitators or coaches can be able to go to managers or stakeholders because that's the other one that drops into all this is that stakeholders come in and they're like i want to know what's going on because this project's really important and it's like okay let me give you the 30 second 50 000 foot view and if you want to attend be prepared to come to the event and know that you're a stakeholder and it's interesting because one of the things you said um, regarding that type of communication yeah. We actually coach product owners to do that with their visions quite regularly. Like make your vision something that if an executive in the elevator says, Hey, what does your product do? You can yeah. rattle it off. It's one, it's yep. two or three sentences, conveys the meaning. It's inspirational. Boom. And that's something that I, I think translates into other things. Like if you're working on a project as a developer, somebody meets you in the elevator, you have two or three sentences. Oh yeah, this is where we're at. This was this project's doing. There you go. 
and, and watch out for the product owner that says, I always give my elevator pitches in the Sears Tower in Chicago because it allows me to have a, 120 floors in which I can explain my situation. Exhibit Q. <laughs> yeah, but if you get the one that's going to the sky deck, it's like 100 and some odd floors like a snap and your ears pop halfway up, right? <laughs> so you really have no time. Yeah, you, you have very little time. That's I awesome. Thought, it's like there's an analogy, but okay. <laughs> No, I like it because it's, the, you know, for, for those who are familiar with Seattle, you could have it be where you're on the Space Needle tour. And so you've got until you get to the top of the Space Needle. It's not, actually, that, it's not that long. That actually was a real example where they took startup companies and they put them on an elevator on the Space Needle, I think with Bezos and somebody else and said, yeah. you've got from the bottom to the top and you have to explain to us what you want to do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I find that that level of communication cuts short a lot of meetings that would otherwise... <laughs> spiral into churn oblivion right well we've all been in we've all been in events where you have multiple stakeholders who just pop in you know it's like with the air quote pop in to see how things are going and it's the how can you get the team to be focused to get to the thing that they need to hear and how do, is there a way you can do information radiators to help stakeholders get all of that information without having to ping the team all the time all the time and and how else do you in interrupt them when they throw in a question right when it's it's completely out of scope it's like completely okay great question but that's not this is not the forum for that right now yep. in that case yeah but it is a it is a weird problem because for one of the groups of teams that i deal with that's doing scrum scrums we will talk just beforehand in their stand-up and they'll say, do we have anything that we need to talk about with the other teams? And they'll come up with a couple of things. And we'll get into that meeting, the scrum of scrums. And they'll call on the team like, do you have anything? We go, nope, nothing from us. Like, how did we a half an hour ago have three things you want to discuss? And now we don't have anything. Like, what happened? And this has happened more than once. As in, I'm not thinking that me as a representative of this team projects into basically doing the same thing, but at the next level up, which is, here's the stuff my team is doing, and I need to just raise that up to the next level. It seems like some people just initially can't get the idea that it's, it's the same thing, but a little bit broader in scope. And you are now responsible for that like you would be in standup. There's no difference, you know? Right. And, and in a similar way, if I'm jumping between teams, you know, I would like you guys to consolidate for me periodically what I need to know and not ping me constantly with everything. Because by definition, I think, when we talk about people spanning multiple teams, most of them are doing things that are more of a generalized nature and don't need, you know, instantaneous reaction. Sure. But at the same time, like, you know, don't, don't pull the rug out from underneath me and tell me two weeks from now when everything's changed, like keep me updated as we go, like that, that balance between the two. Well, and what I appreciate about this conversation is that we really started with the thought about managers and we've actually pivoted a little bit towards stakeholders because both of them have the same intent. They're trying to figure out how they can have the conversation up their value chain to figure out what's going on with Project X. Well, and, it's the same problem too. Right, it's completely. Like there's information, how do I get it? Yep, and I think that goes back to the, if we can provide an information radiator so that it's not always word of mouth. And so that's why you see tools like Jira or version one, they have to have a thing where there's a, where I can get all of my information, but it's only as good as what's put in. 
Yeah. It's only as good as the tool itself. And so that's why, you know, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Before the yep. turn of the century, and I mean that literally, uh, my wife at the time was having to do a status report for management once a week that took eight hours for her to do. And, wow. in, def and, and in defiance of that, because I wasn't in that group, I was in a different group in the same large company in the in Pacific Northwest. Um, I decided I was going to have my leads provide me only three things um, every week, which is what they did last week, what they're going to do next week, and what they want help on. And I am very serious, like the Agile Manifesto hadn't come into being yet, yet to me it seemed like the most obvious way to not write eight hour status reports that we later verified no one ever read. Right, <laughs> right. Just like recording the sprint reviews. Like, uh, okay, nobody goes and rewatches re that hour, hour and a half. You know what's interesting okay, is that I, 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 get, I get once in a blue moon, somebody's like, where's the, where's the sprint review? Okay, sure. I'm I'm glad that we're saving we're saving multiple uh, hard drives worth of sprint reviews terabytes of sprint reviews right <laughs> I document I a high level summary in a wiki and my other team uses timeline js and uses github pages and produces it in a visual format but you know it's really funny because I've I've got teams I work with where all they do is they drop a they do a quick like 2 minute video into slack done and it's like if you watch it cool and if you don't cool and yeah. I, I think i think that a if somebody goes back three months to a sprint review and watches it and then says they have a question i would hope that that question has become irrelevant <laughs> right oh my god and that that is a perfect place for us to end today that's the end of this episode i'm brent i'm mark i'm patrick and i'm ryan until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us on mail at info at fasterthanastandup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at FasterStandup. Thanks for listening, and that was Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.